Hey, it's Carolyn from Homesteading Family. Before we jump in today's pantry chat, I'd like to invite you to join me for a free four-part video series where I'm going to take you step-by-step through making high-quality dairy products in your very own kitchen. Don't worry, there's no cow required. (laughs) If you'd like to join me for the training, jump on over to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash dairy. Hey you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week we're talking about whether homesteading is actually worth it. The cost of homesteading versus a consumer lifestyle. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. It it is. This comes off of one of your questions and it's a really good discussion. Um, But first, we're going to get into a little chit chat, what's going on around here and answer a couple other questions. If you are new to the pantry chat, the chit chat sometimes goes for 10 to 15 minutes, but we have everything timestamped for you. If you want to skip right ahead to the main topic, just look at the timestamps below and move right on ahead. But you don't want to miss the chit chat today because there's a few cool things coming up. Oh, good. um, Hang out with us for a little bit. Anyways. Good. (laughs) I know I got something cool to talk about a little bit. It's kind of a secret, but um, I'm teasing a little bit. I thought you had something you were bringing out too, but maybe Uh, I uh, read it wrong. Anyways. I got to just say at the beginning of Chit Chat, we've had a couple of rough nights of sleep in the last week or two, and I'm starting to feel it. I I don't know. Sometimes you just have those runs where the sleep isn't great. One night we had people walk up our driveway at 11.30 at night. They needed help. They were stuck. Yeah, and then I spent the next four hours, Tristan and I, pulling uh, two different people out of the snow in the middle of the night. In vehicles. And, you know, if if you knew where we lived... People walking up in foot in the middle of the night is not <laughs> like whoa. Like that's not normal because <laughs> right. they had to walk a mile and a half just to get to us. And they had a dog, and so I'm like, two people walking a dog at eleven o'clock, and we're like <laughs> ten miles from nowhere. Right. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> not normal. It, it definitely wasn't good good night of sleep, and then just other random life yeah. things. Just you know, you have those nights where you just randomly don't sleep but we don't have those a lot but they kind of seem to have grouped up on us here so so i'm usually grumpy without sleep and i'm actually have had enough bad nights of sleep that i'm moving (laughs) past the grumpy phase to the kind of like weird silly phase i think she keeps looking at me and when i'm cracking my jokes (laughs) well see we we kind of go the opposite direction i do really well with no sleep to a certain point and then i don't do well then i get grumpy and you usually a grumpy right off until you've had a, oh, yeah. a massive lack of sleep and then you get silly. So I think we're kind of at that crossing. We, we hit our intersection of no yeah. sleep. So bear with <laughs> us if we get lost along the way here okay. today, all right? All right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, anyways, besides not sleeping well, right. what else is going on with you? Ah, okay, before we jump into the actual what's going on, I wanted to share with you guys that next week I am doing a live free training on canning. So if you're interested in learning how to can this year, you're going to want to come to this training. Um, It is going to cover the safety of canning, the basic steps of canning, like all sorts of stuff. It's a really, really important training to go to if you're interested in getting started or as a refresher if you've been canning, but you kind of, you know, need that refresher there. So the link will be down in the description for you. So click that and make sure you join into that. But okay, there's that. That'll be good. Um, What have I been doing? I have been on a mission 
to empty out all the extras in the freezer before the gardening year starts. So can I just fix you just a little? You've got like coffee foam. There you They're go. going everywhere. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> she takes good care of me. It was distracting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this last weekend, I pulled out a 40-pound turkey. I think we talked about that. Canned up a 40-pound turkey. Um, and the weekend before that, I did all of that lard. But wait, we did we talk about a chicken pot? Well, it wasn't a chicken pot pie. It, it was, was a, a poultry pot pie. Right. Right. Very, it was really good. He keeps it, calling it a foul pot pie. Which, you know. My, you know. <laughs> it's, it's not very foul. nice. <laughs> it was, it, it it was wonderfully nice. It was really good. It had turkey, chicken, and guinea. We and had guinea. a guinea that got frostbite on its feet, if you can believe that. Um, anyways, and if you've never had Guinea, they're just, they're great. They're really, really good. But anyways, it had all of those in there. Hence, right. hence the, what did you call it? The right way? Poultry. The pop poultry <laughs> pot pie. Anyways, really, really good based out of doing that turkey. So it was a delicious fowl pie. It was a delicious fowl pie. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, I'm just on a mission to get that all cleaned out. A lot of times I'm not on the ball with that one. I kind of put that chore off till the fall when we're thinking about butchering meat and bringing more meat in. But at that point, I'm usually still well, preserving the garden, the garden stuff. Is, yeah. Or I'm exhausted from preserving the garden stuff and having, you know, a busy summer season. And so this year I said, I'm going to get it done as best as I can before the garden goes in while I still have time and energy. So I'm actually making really good progress on it. I'm really... Please, just having that lard done. Um, and in our membership, we did a monthly focus of rendering all the lard that was in the freezer. And so all of us got together in spirit <laughs> and we rendered all of our lard. And so that's just wonderful. Now I do have a little bit of poultry fat left to render. I just found it in the freezer. I had lost that one under something. So that'll have to come up oh, on is the that next. the goose? Or is there that, is uh, goose, there is duck, and there is chicken fat all to render. And they are all phenomenal to cook with. So we don't want to lose those. Those yeah. are really good. <laughs> so that's what cool. I've been up to. What about you? Wow. Well, um, let's see here. Planted peppers this morning, about a week late, but got peppers in. Mm -hmm. Getting ready to start some celery. So planted them, started seeds inside. Um, getting ready to start some celery. So yes. starting to kick that off. Um, studying a lot about some companion planting. I want to do a little more companion planting in our rows in the oh, garden this year. So instead of, and I, I've played with it here and there and, and like it. And we've done it in other places when we were working a little more, you know, loosely with the gardens. But we've gotten very focused on production. And, um, and so I'm going to start blending back in some of the companion planting. So doing a lot of studying on that. It's actually, I mean, it's a bit of logistics to put together in the garden to still make sure we're growing the crops we want, the amount that we want, and then starting to interact besides throwing in things like dill or, or nasturtiums or marigolds or different things like that right. that are, you know, either good repellents or bringing in good predator bugs. Also just mixing up the same vegetables that we're growing yeah. in the rows just for that diversity. And, would would um, you call that intercropping? Is that what that term would be? Something like that. I, I mean, yeah, intercropping kind, kind of. I mean, I think that's more on a larger ag when you're doing that, where you're intercropping, um, you know, companion planting. A lot of these things aren't necessarily beneficials. You have a lot of things that don't have a specific 
benefit relationship, but they're neutral. And the benefit is, is that you're bringing diversity to the soil because they do cultivate different microbes in the mm -hmm. soil. And so growing multiple, you know, um, different varieties of vegetables still is helping cultivate a, you know, dynamic soil and, and environment in there, even if there's not a um, symbiotic relationship or some benefit. Yeah. And of course, where we can find a benefit, we want to. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of just diving in, studying to that a little bit more. Um, I'm excited about a book I just ordered. Oh. Uh, I just ordered Justin Rhodes' um, Rooted, The Rooted Life, ah. new book. And I think that's going to be really good. And I um, actually just had a chat with him the other day. Yeah, that's exciting. And so excited about that. And with that, excited about a bunch of other things. I've hinted at this a couple times. We're going to keep hinting right now. It's kind of a secret, but there are some big things coming this fall. Some a really, really fun project with a lot of different creators that we're putting together. You guys are going to love it. And hopefully there's going to be some fun things along the way. Maybe some guests here on the pantry chat. Uh, along the way this summer. So I'm actually working on that a lot behind the scenes. And you're actually going to be kind of busy coming up this summer because of that. So you may be in and out quite a bit. You may not be here for pantry chats. On the other hand, pantry chats may go on the road a little I less. think there's going to be some, some fun stuff. I yeah. think I think Carolyn and I are going to sometimes, I'm going to be here maybe interviewing a guest or maybe I'm going to be somewhere else is probably mm -hmm. the reality interviewing a guest. Carolyn's going to be interviewing some different people. and So there's going to be a lot of change up, but it's a lot of fun stuff and it's actually all moving towards this something in the fall that again, we're keeping under wraps right now, but is really, really cool. You so guys will probably I, I'm excited. be the very first to know about it. Yeah. So... Just keep yeah, listening. Very, we're very, ready to tell. You'll you'll know. You'll hear. <laughs> yeah, very, very good stuff. So that's actually, besides garden planning and getting ready for spring, there's just a lot of focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yep. Good stuff. So, um, okay. that's about it. On yep. to a question of the day. There's actually two of them today. Okay. Let cool. me ask you this one okay. down here. Um, in the lard video that I did, a year's worth of lard in one day, just the other day, a whole lot of you guys asked, what are in those giant carboys on the counter? The oh, big, yeah. Some people said, um, what's fermenting on the counter? They didn't even, the big glass jars is yeah. what a lot of people call yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, so fermenting brewing, that is uh, a little bit of wine from some grapes here on the property. Yeah. Some wine grapes that we have, and that is an... Elderberry mead. There's mead up there. Um, yeah. And that is some cider brewing as well. Now, just don't take my example though, because they're really too warm up there in the kitchen right now. Um, we were we were racking. If you're familiar with that term, switching out carbuies and. Anyways, sometimes we're just doing too much. And so they're okay <laughs> right there, but it's not the ideal situation. So uh, and just in case you're wondering, they should be down here in the basement where it's a cooler environment. But um, we just got a lot of projects going on. So sometimes you roll with it and you do the best you can. I think they're actually waiting for me to wash a few things so that we can move uh, them around well, and fill up bottles. You're, you're very honest. I wasn't going to throw you <laughs> under the bus. But <laughs> and then sometimes we have to hand it off and, and then it slips or she hands yeah. it off to me and it, and it slips and yeah. because it wasn't in my, my uh, general uh, you know, plan to do things. So it's a good um, thing about fermented things. There is actually a bit of flexibility. Well, well there you is. You do and, have some latitude yeah. in handling and, it. And they're fine there. They just, you know, aren't going to be as good of a quality in the finished product. But that's okay. okay. We're, we're homesteading. We're not um, professionals here. 
trying to sell something. Good. Yeah. All right, you want to ask me that one? All righty. So Sandra Renwick on There Are No Stupid Homesteading Questions. Absolutely. So glad I found your channel. We are getting ready to start our life aboard our sailboat. And when I first read that, I was like, whoa, homesteading on a sailboat. Cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and want to start canning meat due to the cost abroad and lack of availability in far-off places. Love your thinking there. Um, is there anything different we need to consider when pressure canning on a boat? Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, you mentioned to take your rings off, but I worry about the constant motion of the boat. Any tips would be great. So you're actually, am I understanding right? You're actually going to be doing the pressure canning on the boat, not just taking it. That's pretty cool. Wow. Right on. That is some homesteading. Well, I really know nothing about homesteading on a sailboat. However, I do have a few things to consider about the pressure canning side because that's pretty neat. Um, first of all is make sure that your stove is powerful enough to actually bring your pressure canner up to full steam where you need it to be. That I've been on a few boats and oftentimes I feel like they have... The, the stove capacity on them is about like the capacity in a trailer, a camper trailer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe you have something improved than that, but just make sure you're able to actually get your pressure canner all the way up to pressure because you'll have to be able to get it there and maintain it. The other thing is about storing the jars. And no, you don't want the rings on even in a circumstance like that. And the reason for that is, is if at any point the rings are what's keeping your lids on, you have a unsafe jar. So you really have to know if those jars get bonked around enough, if whatever happens, they lose their seal, um, then you really need to know that right off. And the best way to know that is um, to make sure those rings are off. I actually did a video all about that. I, here, somewhere. It'll be up here somewhere. We'll, we'll leave that for you. So you can see exactly what I mean and why that's really important. Um, but I think that's really cool. I think your key here is going to be the right storage for your yeah, jars. Yeah, because you don't want them. You don't want them bashing. You're going to need like some cardboard or. Mm, with the little some, dividers. Yeah, some little dividers or something yeah. in there and, and have them packed in well. Right. Just because, I mean, depending on where you're at, obviously you can get stormy seas and right. some movement besides the regular movement. Well, and it might be something as simple as your shelf, but with, you know, kind of short walls all the way around it and that you keep it packed in there. If you remove a jar, you replace an empty jar there just to keep it completely tight and packed. That would work too, but you just don't want the banging. But to give you a little bit of hope, we have moved across the country one, two, three, four, five times with canned Somewhere foods. And I have, without rings on, and I have never lost a single seal in that process. So, I mean, hundreds of jars. I don't just mean a few here and there. And we've never lost a seal. So they're actually, when, you, when they're well canned, those seals are really, really sturdy. So. Yeah. I, I got a, a, there is just a fascinating story here, Sandra, that we would love to hear. <laughs> One, I got to imagine maybe fun. you're talking about storing, not actually canning on the boat. But if you are, one, I'd suggest getting a camp chef and pulling into port and canning on the beach or something. But either way, will you send us pictures and share that story that. when you're out there? <laughs> if, if, if just the, I have always dreamed of sailing for like a year, living on a sailboat and cruising around. 
uh, the Pacific Coast and Baja, Mexico. And I, don't, then, I don't know that I'd ever get her to do that. And then but, he married somebody who gets dreadfully seasick. Right. So, Sorry, so, <laughs> so I'd like to live vicariously through you guys. Um, anyways, th- it's just a fun story. And so we'd love to know more. And uh, especially if you're doing any of these yeah, activities, that would just be really fun to share. So really interesting. Good. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So getting on with uh, topic of the day, we're talking about the cost of homesteading versus the consumer lifestyle. And we're just kind of going to approach this organically because you could write a book on this, yeah, really. And Kim Anthony asked this question, would you be able to assess if it's less costly to homestead at your caliber in comparison to the consumer lifestyle with the equivalent organic quality food for an average American family of four. And so I think one thing we got to do right off the bat with this is put this in the context of food. That's how Kim framed it. And we'll, we'll leave this cost analysis discussion just within food because there's actually a whole lot of other things to consider if you're considering an overall, you know, equivalency in costs, but we'll, we'll stick to food production. Um, just, just to kind of narrow it down. So, uh, I've seen multiple videos out there, YouTube videos where homesteaders talk about their, what it costs them to do a project and what they produce dollar wise on Mm -hmm. it. And every time it's something like, well, the animals cost me this much and their feed cost me that much. And so then I got this many eggs from those chickens and eggs cost this much at the store. So therefore here's my cost versus my, my benefit there. Mm -hmm. Um, and every time I think, Oh my goodness, your cost is so much more than what you just listed right there. Incomplete analysis. It is very incomplete Mm -hmm. because you know, you've got fencing, you've got housing, you've got electricity possibly run to that area of your farm. You've got your time and your energy. There's like, all of these other things that go into it. So I think right off, we've got to say, like you were just saying, it's very, very hard to get a complete picture of this in one just simple accounting, right? Right. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a gardening um, situation that we went through where we did do some cost analysis. This okay. was in Tennessee. Right. Um, and it was uh, one of the first years we had grown a very large garden. Mm-hmm. And I calculated all the costs going into it. And we had $2,000 of input into this garden. So this is a brand new garden on land that had never been gardened before. Right. And so it had a lot of work to be done to it. We put a lot of soil. Um, We were really learning um, some of the soil building methods. And we put everything into it. And so we spent a lot of money. And our neighbors thought we were nuts for putting that much into the garden. And most of that went into the soil. There's about $500 of that with seeds. And so. It was a lot of seeds, but the rest of it was all soil amendments, compost, mm-hmm. and mulch mostly. And everybody thought we were crazy. Um, at the end of the year, and so this was all organic heirloom vegetables, and so we did the best we could to track what was coming out of the garden that year. And that's a lot of work. This is one of the reasons this is hard, is to right. really track it all, exactly what you're getting, and price compare is difficult. How do you quantify all those tomatoes right. that you eat right on the vine while you're standing out there? Right, or weighing <laughs> all the lettuce that comes in. You weigh right. it, do you, you know, I yeah. mean, there, there's a lot there. So it's a complicated question. But to try to do exactly what you're talking about, we did that one year. And we calculated seven to $8,000 worth of value in that. And so that I did specifically. We did mm-hmm. a lot of calculations on that to get that, to prove it to ourselves. And it worked very, very well. And um, every year since then, we've not done that kind of a calculation. But we felt very good about it. Here's the side, though. 
what's the cost going in the land? We had to buy that land. I mean, it was only a piece of the entire land, but it does have a cost to it. Um, our labor has a cost mm -hmm. to it because we're spending our time doing that, not doing something else. Right. And that was, you know, one of the first times we were growing a very large garden where we were starting to really depend on it, not just kind of supplementing, mm -hmm. but really, you know, moving towards dependence. And so it did take a lot of time. And those are things that you can factor in. You could figure out what's your square footage cost of your land, you know, and kind of amortize that out. Right. Um, you can look at what's an reasonable hourly wage for yourself and track your hours and, and figure it out. You add all that in and come back around, I'm going to guess that the cost, even that 2000 to say 7000 seven to 8000 you add all those factors in, it, it's going to get much closer right. to a break even. And so I think where the discussion starts to go is, you know, there's these hidden costs. What other value are you getting out of that garden? So there's the actual produce. Right. And, but what are the other values there that tip that scale. We just talked about some of the costs. Right. What are some of the other values? And I'll, I'll give that to you that, that are going to actually increase that seven to $8,000 value. Right. Absolutely. Well, I know one for us, it's a really important one is comparing organic vegetables at the store to our own quality produce. Mm -hmm. Ours blows the organic out of the water. We're making sure our ground is mineralized. We make sure that soil's healthy. Um, there are all these things. So you're just going to get such a better product product when it comes out of your own garden and it's it's hard to account for that right so it's higher value it's really than even value. what you're buying from the market right. generally i mean the only exception would be if you've got a local farmer that you know his practices yes. and he's growing a more nutrient dense product than standard organic which is just kind of commercial farming without right. fertilizer yeah so you absolutely stuff. have that element right. to it the other side of it is the working together side, there's a lot of benefit you get out of mm -hmm. that, right? One, you're doing the work, so you're probably going to be stronger and healthier. You're getting out there, you're exercising, you're out in the sunshine, you're out in the soil. All of those things are incredibly healthy for you. But another thing is being able to work together as your family and increasing your relationships, making your relationships stronger because you're working together on something. And then Theoretically, you're enjoying something together on the other side. You're, you know, the, the products of your labor. Enjoying those things together becomes so important. It really is. And the next thing is moving into healthcare a little bit and your own long-term health. And this is one of the things our society doesn't take into account. We've gotten used to food being very cheap. The food in the grocery store is not historically normally cost. It's subsidized. It has all things, all kinds of things that artificially suppress the cost of food. And we've gotten used to this. We have an expectation that food's a certain cost when it's not normal for it to be this low. What we also have is a huge health care cost in our society that we pay for, and we don't put that into the equation. Well, and we should also throw in supplements, because mm -hmm. our food's so low quality that we're having to take all these supplements that historically people right. wouldn't have to take. And there's a lot, I mean, I know in the past we've spent a lot of money on good quality supplements. Try When we've mm -hmm. been in a yeah. place where we haven't had the great food that we have right now. Yep. And a lot of people spend a lot of money. So we have to make sure that that, when we're thinking about it, that's rolled into the equation also. Oh, really? So so there's a there's a big cost there. On the other side, it lowers the cost when you're eating well year after year after year. And if you want a good read, Steve Solomon's Intelligent Gardener mm. uh, book goes into this a bit. And some of it's scientific, some of it's anecdotal. But he has, through his journey of life, talks about their teeth. 
Uh. And the differences on different gardening methods that they lived on in different places, and the teeth being a sign because of the mineralization, your teeth get affected pretty quickly. And where they went through periods of having teeth problems to watching the teeth problems go away, and the only change was their location and their gardening, and then moving and having teeth problems again. Interesting. Even in an area where they were gardening organically, but the soil they found had a mineral depletion. Right. And anyways, it's an, it's an interesting story about so, that. But it correlates the value of health and how it ultimately lowers your health care costs or increases it if, you know, you're, you're not eating well. That, and that's another one is those dental costs that, you know, yeah. I tend to put yeah. that off to the side as separate than healthcare costs, but it really is all the same thing. So lumping that in there. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah really is. Um, you know, another thing, and this is a tool for you guys that you can look at, and I, I pulled this up. I did this a few years ago, right before we started Homesteading Family. And we were living here in Idaho. Mm -hmm. We were scraping by, had savings from a family business that got sold. And we were, I mean, deep into our homesteading, living it, surviving on it. But yet needed to find work. And so I, I was going through this exercise of figuring out, like, okay, if I get a job, how much do I need to earn? And we didn't even know. If, if you don't have the time to homestead. Or right. Homestead. And we didn't really even know what our grocery costs were because we were raising so much of it. So we knew it from that. But, like, if we had to start going to the store because we were contemplating, like, I might have to go to work and travel and be gone a lot. And we might not be able to do the homesteading thing as much. And I'm like, well, how much are our groceries going to be? Right. And I found the USDA actually has a site. If you just Google, like, how much does it feed to cost a person? We'll in the put United the link States. down for okay, you guys. Sure, we'll do the link. Yeah. Um, they've got a cool chart on on two on a low cost plan and a moderate plan. So three in a liberal plan, which would be the, the high end plan, which is how we eat. And they break it down by male, female, and then your age, and you can come up with an average cost. Now it's not the same as comparing in the grocery store everything you buy, but it's a lot easier and it gives you a general idea. So for example, if you're looking at a child who's 9 to 11 years old and you want to feed them a high quality diet your monthly cost it's about is that's 82 the, that's the weekly diet so your monthly diet it's about $353 $353 for a 9 to 11 year old child if you're going to feed them organic food so i just ran through this exercise real quick for our family now oh, we have a large family so <laughs> you know this is Very not not going to fit your normal and you'll you'll want right. to go check this thing out but it can give you an idea anyways for our family when i put it all together for let me our, just give a little context for those of you guys who don't know we have 10 children in the house eating at our table every meal so mm -hmm. just he says large. That's how large. <laughs> so it would cost us to eat well, to eat generally organic, you know, eating what they call liberal, just very well. $45,000 a year, 45 to 48 would be the grocery bill Wow. right now, pre-tax. So, yes. so then we've got to earn on top of that, the taxes and everything else. And so right off the bat, we did some quick discussions and realized for us on food production, Again, there's a lot of other things that figure into the lifestyle, but just food to food, hands down, we are living on way less than that with what we're doing here Absolutely. for our family. Um, and, you know, so I'd have to go out and earn. We'd have to earn fifty-five to 60000 a year yeah. just for the food bill and paying the taxes and, and local taxes and, you know, income and all that. Um, and then again, that doesn't account for the increased medical bills we would have from not eating as well, the increased supplement bills that we would have for right. having to, 
you know, get those vitamins and minerals from somewhere else besides our food. All of those things aren't even calculated into that cost. They're really not. And so for us, yeah, we go, that's way worth it. You, mm -hmm. you have to look at your own situation, where y'all are at and what you're able to do to figure that out. But you've got... You got to calculate, you got to try to at least account for the hidden costs and mm -hmm. either get re -de really detailed in your accounting or just figure it in. Um, and what it comes down to is the cost difference in reality, when if you figure all this stuff in, probably starts to balance out. And so where we get to is the why. I think yeah. there has to be a why you're doing this besides just cost analysis right. to, to bring the value in there. So if your why is just to save money, this may not work out for you. You, you. got to be now, careful because you're going to work hard. You're going to work really hard at this. The, the reality is, is there's a lot of us with other whys that have to save money. Like we're on a tight budget. Mm -hmm. we, we can't just go out and spend whatever we want. We would not be falling under the liberal plan anyways, according to the USDA's chart. Um, and so, you know, that, that's definitely consideration. And there's things you can do to keep your costs lower and still produce really good food. Um, but if your whole pur purpose in homesteading is just to live cheaply, this probably isn't going to work out well for you. No, I, I, I would say it's probably not worth it. You can live cheaply. You can do a lot. And, you know, cheap, I don't even, I don't like the word cheap because cheap, um, you know, is like, it's going to fall apart. It's not going to work. We're, we're looking for value. We're looking, you know, to get the most value with the least input or at least mm -hmm. dollars. That's a little bit different than cheap. And so exactly, if you're just trying to be cheap, if you're just trying to save right. money, I, I think, you know, you're probably going to burn yourself out. There, there's got to be a deep why. There's got to be something in your heart yeah. that drives this because there's going to be times when it is so worth it. It's so abundant. It's so amazing. You love it. There's going to be times where you're in the trenches. It's so hard. You're dead broke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the crops are failing. Kids are, you know, injured. Our cars breaking down, all of that. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world am I doing? Yeah, Why don't I just get true. a job and have a nine to five and have some stability? And so to get through all that, to get through the lows in this, and to make it cost effective, you've got to have a good why. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there are a few things, though, that we can do that I, I want to talk about and maybe put you on the spot a little bit. What, let's say you've got this why and it's, I really want to be healthier. I really want to spend more time with my family. I really want to increase my ability to take care of myself in the event that groceries aren't readily available. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, right now we're watching the gas prices go up and up and up. That means the food prices are going up. It's They're already coming, up, right? but that has to happen. That has to follow. And so, you know, if our option is going back to eating macaroni and cheese or top ramen from the grocery store or going out to the garden and doing our own to be healthy and have healthy food, then you're in a great place. Like mm -hmm. that's a great motivation. That's a great why. But there is a cost factor. We're, we're not rich. We're not able to just throw everything at it. So if you had to look at the homestead and choose what projects you would take on if you wanted to get the most bang for your buck, we'll mm -hmm. put it that way. If we had to watch the dollars, but we want to get the most return for what we can do, maybe it's just narrowing it down, what would be the top thing 
that you would say okay. is the best return? So I've got three things that come to mind. Okay. The garden, if you have the space to really grow a garden seriously, is number one. Yeah. Um, the low in the input cost, besides your labor and some of those other things, to what you can produce in value is huge. You mm -hmm. know, it, it's really really big. And if you'll put the work in, that's huge. And it's one of the easier ones that's really you can get into. You can do some soil amendments, and you can get going. Well, really good. And you were talking about this, you know, we put all of these uh, amendments into our soil. Yeah, compost We mostly. could have done that slower mm -hmm. and less expensively. We just wanted to grow right off the bat in the brand and, new And garden. it works. If you're yeah. in that situation, you just, you, people have a hard time getting their head around spending money on soil and wood chips or mulch, but it works. It's worth it. It, it does if, work. If, if, if I guess you, what I'm trying to say. If you need to go quick. If yeah. you need to go quick. If you need to go slower because you don't have that kind of dollars for right. inputs, you can do that too. And that also works. You're still, just not going to get the production right, right out the gate. Of the but day. it's still worth it. So, so gardening's definitely number one. And mm -hmm. we've done some, you know, cost analysis. That's one of the situations where that's really, really good. Mm -hmm. uh, another one for, you know, I'm going to say a little lower entry before my third one that's probably the second most valuable, but a little harder to get into. So the next thing would be chickens. You can do you can do uh, egg layers and meat chickens in a small space, um, and you know get your grain and find a lot of creative ways to feed them, and they're easy to work with. So producing chicken is really really easy, and you can do that in a small space. You know if you don't have an acre or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that one's up there. And number three, which is probably the highest value though, more than the chickens, is a dairy cow. Now I put that at three just because it does take more space, it takes more work. But a dairy cow, if you will use the products and make the products from the butter to the cheese to the kefir to the yogurt, that is high, high value and nutrition if you're feeding that animal well for your family. So um, those are the top two, you know, money value is the garden and the, and the milk cow. Absolutely. You know, we've ran numbers over the years and that's what we find the most valuable. Yeah. I just, you and I talked about that. I threw the chickens in just because... Chickens are within reach for a lot of people, and so that would be the step if, if you know, dairy cow is not an option. Yeah, yep. but that dairy cow, I mean, you want to you wanna make your value back in money. Oh, yeah. Da the dairy yeah. cow is the top, especially if you live in an area where maybe you can sell a little bit of your extra. I know that really depends on the state that you live in, but if you can sell some extra to a friend and recoup some of the costs yeah. up Or front, trade if you're not allowed to sell. I mean, some, you know, some people a lot have of those options There's a lot there. you can do there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And... I, we're not goat people, but, you know, dairy goats may be something to look at, um, you know, as well. So We're not goat people. <laughs> That's like a bumper sticker or something. I am not a goat Not person. that we don't love <laughs> you goat people. <laughs> we do. Uh, it's just the, the, we tried them once and they didn't work well for us. And so, um, and we're, we're... Have we told you that you know, story? Because we got three days with the goats. Yeah, they that, kept that's... looking in our dining room window at us every time we turned around. Anyways, okay, uh, that's yeah. a different story. That's a different, a different story, and, and we're running out of time. <laughs> um, so, anyways, th there's a lot to get your head around here, and hopefully, some of this gets you thinking, gives you some ideas to compare and think about. Just remember, there's a lot of hidden costs, and there's a lot, a lot of, of value, hidden value, and a lot of hidden value yeah. as well. And you definitely have to have the hidden value to make you know, the actual costs work. If you don't have that why, if you don't have that motivating factor, then the money, you know, situation isn't isn't going to cover it. To make and it can I just say one big why that we didn't talk about that we should all have right now, especially if you have children or grandchildren around you, is passing on these skills. Because one day, 
even if the grocery store stays great and accessible in our lifetime, one day somebody's gonna need these skills just to survive. We need to be passing these skills, learning them and passing them on. So please, please get your children involved in whatever you're doing. And stay serious because, you know, we're looking at $5 a gallon diesel right now. Gas is going up. We don't know how it's going to go. That's probably going to come back down. Okay. Some of the supply issues are probably going to come back down. It might take a few years, um, but the inflation is going to still march on. Okay. I think the world, say the world we're in scarcity is probably going to march on on some level. There's just a lot of things we're facing. And so we just want to continue to encourage you guys to dive in, do what you can, where you're at, know your why and go for it within your means. And it is worth it for you now and mm -hmm. uh, for the next generation. Absolutely. Been great hanging with you guys. See you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.